Hello, and welcome to episode 144 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I am your host, Derek Heemsbergen. I'm at EmbryonX on Twitter. And today I am joined by Greg, not like a regular dad, but a cool dad, Delmage. <laughs> that's that's me, I guess. I like that <laughs> moniker. Hopefully yeah. my daughter feels the same way. <laughs> no. Yeah, and, and hopefully she doesn't dance to a, a salacious remix of Jingle Bell Rock at the school talent show. <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> but it's never uh, too late to um, groom her for that. I don't know. And we are also joined by Stephanie, never eaten an orange Sabidlo. How are you, Steph? It's true. The juice is just a way better way to go. I'm very good. How's everybody? Like, I could hear you right now, but I hope everyone's doing well. <laughs> yeah, well and swell. You guys, uh, I don't know if Stephanie's been on our podcast super recently she's been on other ones but Steph is our social media manager so whenever you see those cool questions on Twitter like uh what's your favorite color of materia in Final Fantasy 7 it's usually Steph who's behind that or Nilsson so the answer um, to that is red undoubtedly why is that give me your answer I want an explanation summon, man I like the summons they yeah. look <laughs> okay no that's actually I, I don't remember what type of materia red is so I'm a fake gamer boy <laughs> okay, oh, yeah, I just earned some gamer street credits as much as that's worth. <laughs> you did, it's, and it's worth a pretty penny, let me tell you. So I just wanted to like check in with everybody. So Greg, I know that you've got some exciting stuff coming up on your end with your acting career, right? Um, so in some ways, yes. I mean, uh, as people know, I am an actor. Uh, a few weeks ago, I did some motion capture for a video game, which I don't think has really been broadcast amongst the the RPG fan fans that is sure. so cool. <laughs> it, it was it was so fun getting in the suit having the thing seeing all the exciting technology in there i can't say much about it because i'm under nda still right but uh i can i can say it's a game that uh maybe 50 percent of our fans will play so i can, <laughs> can maybe it's a game that. how about that it's a game i played a role it was fun uh, I got to work with one of the main like characters in the game, so that was cool. And which is a person I've actually worked with before, and uh, we did some Shakespeare together way back when, and he yeah. ended up doing this, and then they made a role for him in the game. So weird connections, cool. yeah. I kind of will be curious. Who did you play in a sh- in a Shakespearean play, or which oh, one? Oh, I was. Uh, we were. Uh, it was a production of Hamlet, and I played uh, Claudius. Awesome. Which is how I met my now fiance Annette. We were both in the show together, and she was a gender bend of uh, Laertes because they did yeah. gender bends for the role, and they made the plot line to have us have some history together. Yeah. Oh, I hooked up with Gertrude, cool. so that added a different kind of element to the Laertes uh, Claudius kind of relationship and such. And There's nothing quite romantic like Hamlet, so I mean, I think that's actually really sweet. That's a <laughs> really sweet more romantic treat. than murdering somebody together. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, have you seen you the show had Dexter? The happy ending. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. just like Dexter. And then, uh, aside from that, the other exciting thing is we won a ten thousand dollar grant from Storyhive, which is a uh, funded by Telus, which I think is just a, a Canadian provider. I don't think they provide down in the states. Yeah, I know I what you're know. talking about. Yeah, no. <laughs> a, I'm not numbered by Canadians. Cable, internet, whatever service provider. Uh, we'll try to squeeze in more A's media. just to make Derek feel bad. Oh, please, A. Hockey and maple syrup too, please. Extra and poutine. All right, you'll fit so hard in my American accent. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, so we won a ten thousand dollar grant to make a really fun movie, uh, a short film that I think will be very important as it uh, helps uh, people address the whole issue of children struggling with identity and parents. How do they kind of face that? So it'll be fun to get made. Cool as hell, Greg. Yeah, Yeah. 
it's mm. going to be a lot of work and we're very excited and frightened because now it's this whole project that we love so much and now we're like okay now we got to do it not screw it up make it real yeah yeah for real <laughs> i have confidence um, thank you Adam, then, yeah please keep showing uh, about that i'm really curious especially know what game you're in because that's always wild uh, so I've just been doing a lot of work on, I, I work as a, as a artist actually. So I've just been kind of sitting in and doing a lot of that work. You can see a lot of my work at Dice SMS, which is my Twitter handle as well. Uh, I also tweet a lot of game stuff. So I'm actually, you know, not to brag, a lot of fun to follow. Uh, but I've also yeah, been doing right. a lot of work for RPG fans. So all the posts that you see is you've seen are by me, but like we've also opened Final up Fantasy our, stuff. yeah, yeah. Uh, but we've also opened up our, uh, Instagram. So RPG fan, uh, com on Instagram. Uh, check it out. I've been uploading a lot of really, really, really cool pictures. You know, some that you've seen, highlights, uh, and probably some stuff that you've never seen or in cool videos and stupid memes, of course. Yeah, she's been cultivating a lot of cool art just like uh, recently. Well, on the last episode of the podcast, we mentioned how it was Breath of Fire's uh, 18th anniversary, Breath of Fire 4's. Yeah. And Steph was posting really cool art from that and then BOF3. So uh, it, yeah. I've actually I not... Even, I, I can't even tell you how little of that I actually had to go hunt for. Like a lot of that's just sitting on my hard drive. I just oh, really? these giant images <laughs> and everything. Oh, that's awesome. Reference material. I was going to oh, say, yeah. I haven't even seen a lot of those pieces of art before. So it's like kind of cool to rediscover something that I thought I was acquainted with, but I guess I wasn't fully acquainted with. I feel like an actual art curator for once in my life. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Degree for once. <laughs> yeah. And and also, I think I've said it before, but I, I host another podcast called Astral Era. It's a Final Fantasy 14 yeah. podcast. And Steph designed our logo and artwork. And it is so oh, it's really nice. It's so good. Like, I mean, obviously tooting our own horns here a little bit, but Steph uh, does amazing work and you should hire her. <laughs> yeah, didn't you, you do all the Persona 5 uh, icons that a lot of the RPG fan folk have too? Yep. Maybe. That was you. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> and who yeah. did Steven's Time Mage thing? Yeah, I, know. I just was get passed YouTube? around to do art for a bunch of y'all. Yeah, yeah I, was was like, I was like, I want a Final Fantasy Tactics avatar. I'd be happy to do one sometime. It sounds like fun. There's so much fun to do. It's such an easy art style because you don't have to do noses. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. That's like half the battle right there. You should uh, get into drawing Fire Emblem characters so you don't have to do feet. <laughs> what is that? Explain yourself. Really cuter. <laughs> in uh, Fire Emblem Awakening, the character models don't have feet; they're like little pegs. And and there was a big thing for a while. People were like, "Oh, I guess in the Fire Emblem universe, nobody has feet." And uh, I think it was it must have been oh, not Awakening, uh, Fates, where the main character Corin is like barefoot as part of the costume. People were like, "Oh my god, feet!" <laughs> no i think it was originally like they didn't know how much uh memory the 3d has to work with so they just thought feet were like a good part to cut away mm. uh, so they went no feet but did they actually bring them back for fates yeah they have oh, feet. that's so cool that's hilarious yeah <laughs> proof of evolution guys it works which reminds me, I've, I've actually, okay, just geeky, but I was just like uh, warming up some art and I was drawing Aegis. It's really weird to draw her peg leg. Yeah, she does have a peg <laughs> She's leg. got those fun peg legs, yeah. I love Aegis. What a good character. Like, every time I see one of those videos for Persona 3 and 5 dancing, well, I guess in this case, 3 dancing, I get all excited because I'm just excited to see her again. And then they also brought back even Labrys and stuff. I've been totally geeking about the Persona 3 opening, uh, Persona 3 dancing opening. It's so oh, it's good. So good. So the way good. it's animated is one thing, but the song, like you know, having Lotus Juice back was great, and um, I, yeah, like, it's like no no mass destruction near at the at the end. <laughs> yep, they make yeah. a lot of weird little shots at the at the game, so it's kind of fun. Yeah, I think that one's even better than the P five intro, honestly. Absolutely, honestly, I've yeah, I've thoroughly so listened to both like twenty times. Yeah, 
<laughs> Me too. And and also those come out in Japan this month, so we can probably look forward to like a soundtrack release pretty soon. Because they yeah. haven't officially announced them for US release yet, but like no doubt they're going to. So Steph, yeah. you were actually saying, um, wasn't somebody asking on uh, the RPG fan Facebook page or something about P5 dancing and then P3 and P5 dancing, and you were like, well, the E3 badge inserts the last few years were Persona, so... Yeah, they seem to be that. So I just wonder if they're going to, you know, if Atlas has kind of some good reign over that again this year. And I don't know, maybe they'll I could easily it. see dancing on one side, Persona Q2 on the other. Q2 was officially announced, right? Yeah, that was. Okay. I just kind of assumed it was a thing for so long. I was just like, yeah, yeah, it's probably going to happen that I never really bothered to look into it when they finally announced it. Yeah, it's got a teaser website and nothing else. I do want them to do like a revamp of uh, Persona 5, like the Crimson version or some mm-hmm. junk. <laughs> Because yeah. how do you have a gang of people go to like, and I've been watching uh, Scott play Persona 4 Golden, which has just been so much fun. They get along so well. They got good chemistry and everything. Uh, and then Persona 5, where they go to Hawaii and have a bad time. Yeah. In Persona that, 5. That Hawaii trip is such a bummer. It felt like such a wasted opportunity. Yeah. I, was like, I don't know. So there's like a few parts of Persona 5 that I would not mind seeing a fancy pants version uh, redo of. I agree. Kind of like how 4 added the winter stuff for Golden. That's like a full month extra of stuff they had, right? Yeah, they really went all out on that one. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, cool. <laughs> I'm Steph, I'm really glad that you're continuing to get work because you're awesome. So um, my point stands that y'all should hire her. And then um, on my end, so since I get to be indulgent and talk about myself, uh, things are going pretty cool with me too. I just wrapped up. Uh, I have had a part-time job tutoring writing at my uh, local college that I had been doing for a little while, like at this point, a little over a year. I did it in the past as well, but like I was doing that while I was doing my other work freelance uh, part-time. But I just wrapped up that job because it's over and I'm getting ready in uh, less than two weeks. I am moving to Chicago from Arizona, which is very exciting. And it's going to be my first time moving. It's going to be my first time living outside of Arizona ever. I've lived in Tucson my whole life. So that's a big deal. And then I also recently landed a new localization project. So that's really cool. And I'll be working on that game starting next week, actually. So I obviously I can't share any details about it, but uh, it's a game and it definitely exists. I promise. Maybe you'll get to play that soon. And then in the meantime, we can talk about the games that are already out and that we're enjoying. That's true. Yeah. A few episodes ago, I think. Yeah, I think it was like episode 141 or so. I talked about the Alliance Alive, which is the 3DS RPG that has a lot of uh, input from staff from like Suikoden. I think it was the scenario writer he was on there. And you can kind of tell too. I like, I, I always, I, you can kind of uh, see a lot of their uh, inspirations on their sleeve for like Legend so. of Legacy and, uh, and the Alliance Live. Yeah. So I, I know that I kind of went into what I thought about the game, but Steph is here and she's been playing the game quite a bit too. And I wanted to get her thoughts on it. So, like, I don't know, I guess, what are your overall impressions? Or is there anything in specific that you were really struck by in the game? Straight up, I loved it. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's just something that I was really looking for right now. Uh, you know, I've been kind of breezing through games, so I kind of liked getting sitting down and getting really frustrated with uh, Alliance Live. It's got a, It's got some really interesting difficulty curves. I think a lot of old school RPG fans will like it. Uh, it essentially plays like one of the, uh, like a Sega game, uh, you know, looks, feels, it's even got, you know, music from uh, Hamauzu, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, so the there's like a lot of, uh, sorry, there's a high punishing difficulty. But one thing I like is it seems to balance out a lot of its gameplay mechanics with enough that's meant to kind of help you out just as much. You know, you really have to get into the into the meat of the gameplay to uh, to really come out alive in this one. <laughs> 
it's a high risk, high reward battle system, and I actually really came to appreciate that. It is. Did you did you beat it? Because oh, yeah. I want to ask about it. Okay. Did you? Uh, what did you think about the castle sequence in the middle of the game? Oh, uh, I don't know. Because <laughs> was... I thought that was like infuriating. I I because when you say difficulty spikes, that was one of the times where I just felt like it was a brick wall. I I did hear about it, so I actually grinded a lot before it, so I wasn't okay. too bad about it. Um, uh, you know, I got the the bonus character that you can get. I, I will say that I think the the game mascot Robins, it's a cute little warrior penguin, is probably the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> He's introduced so late though. So cute, uh, Robins. Yeah. Not worse than uh, Shiki or Matilda, I guess. Yeah, but I didn't really end up using a lot of the new, like, too little, too late kind of stuff. And since yeah. most of the characters kind of play a bit the same, you can kind of rule out a few redundant characters. That's fair. Um, uh, yeah, so I didn't really care much for the, the, the castle sequence, if for anything, because the castle is designed as a pain in the ass intentionally. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's really pretty, but it's just such a pain in the butt to get around. Like seven um, floors with item shops on each side. Yeah, uh, but like when, the, but I did like the world design. Otherwise, I thought exploring, like I don't know, I, I think it's always fun when uh, Japan likes to do a lot of these kind of themed uh, environments. They tend to have mm. a lot of fun with it. Uh, so you know, I thought. So what it is is the game takes place across like four or five different major realms, like the Burning Realm, the Rain Realm, the the uh, Caged Realm, and the Crystal Realm. I think. Oh yeah, and the Frozen one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was really fun to actually explore those. When you get the, uh, you get like an advanced flying machine, and that is probably just the most fun I've ever had exploring a world map of its weird secrets. And because again, it's like a saga game. Sometimes you'll explore a weird place that you've, that you know, comes up that you don't even have to visit, and it'll just utterly kick your ass, and it's wonderful. <laughs> oh yeah, that's very saga. I think it, before Alliance Alive, it had been a little while since I played an RPG of, uh, like with a world map designed that way sort of with that scale or with that level of uh it's weird right it's stuff tucked yeah. away yeah i uh, mean like Nino Kuni 2 has a map that has a lot of stuff tucked away in, in little corners but uh, it's not quite as dangerous uh-huh. so like alliance alive's world map feels like if you go exploring further out like especially if you go into the dark current and there are the the water devils that chase you and those it's will just interactive that's what i liked about it yeah they'll, they'll whip your ass Oh god! Yeah, and the the water devil dens are absolutely frightening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing I like too is the game has a lot of plot. It doesn't say it all. It doesn't write it on its sleeve. But I mean, you can you can kind of get the idea that there is a lot of plot here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit of diminishing results at the end when you feel there's a lot of unexplained stuff. But I think the game does a good job about you know explaining a story without using too many words. Unlike certain games like you know Persona Five. <laughs> yeah, well then there are some <laughs> games that just like speak endlessly but say nothing. You know, like. Uh, example of that is some of the recent Paper Mario games. I feel like are full of dialogue that says nothing. Yeah, and it's just kind of uh, turgid. It just kind of like, and it's amusing, but it's it, word, is, yeah. uh, it doesn't get as fun. Thousand Year Old Door and uh, Mario RPG are probably my favorites in the series. Yeah, they, those were so good, and then it feels like recent ones have kind of slipped a bit. What happened? We uh-huh. want to love it. We really do because it's really cute in concept. I do want to try yeah. the uh, the what is it? The remake of the Game Boy Advance one. Yeah, oh, the, yeah, that was a good one. Is it Superstar? Superstar Saga. Saga. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've heard really good things about that, and of course, you know, Peter Peter Treisenberg is uh, always encouraging it. Right, I have to With come his... up for my uh, daughter for her birthday. Hey, yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah, she's pretty That's intrigued so by it. Have you gotten her into gaming? Actually, <laughs> you, you slowly uh, got, gotten her into geeky. That's things. why he's here, right? <laughs> I mean, not um, the only reason. No, well, uh, when uh, when Annette and I met, she had been married. So her and her partner are both big gamers. They had played WoW and all that sort of stuff over the years. So Gwen was already quite inundated with it. 
mm-hmm. um, was already like navigating an iPad at three years old with no issue, which is yeah. baffling. Um, <laughs> I was like but... that with the VCR when I was a kid, so I totally get it. Oh, my parents made me like a little um, cheat sheet with like oh, color coded to tell me because I didn't couldn't before I could read. Just like this big green thing means this is the play button. Anyhow. Yeah. It's amazing how yeah kids pick that stuff up. So she's been into gaming for a while, but we got her a 3DS last year, and she's been eating it up uh, whenever she can play things and loves the heck out of Metopo, Metopia, Metopia. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah blah blah. And she still plays like she loves Overwatch and plays a bunch of stuff at her dad's. She's been playing Monster Hunter World a little bit over there too. Mm-hmm. So she's quite savvy for a seven-year-old for sure. But we oh, did um, Super Mario RPG last summer together. I, I think her and I would totally get along because I was basically doing the exact same thing at her age. Like uh, my brother was the one who got me really into gaming. And so I've basically been doing it since I can walk. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know? the same. It seems to be for her. Uh, and so, yeah, we like I said, we like, for the, the obvious segue was Mario RPG. So, yeah, that'll work for her, too. And we're going through Paper Mario right now, just like the, the regular, the, the 64 one. Oh, yeah. Because I, I never played it to get either. So it's really mm-hmm. interesting to see because I did Thousand Year Door. And it's nice to see like the roots were there and they yeah. definitely kind of mastered it for thousand year door. And it is an unfortunate, an, an unfortunate byproduct that it's gotten kind of watered down over the years. Yeah. I, I would like to see if they would ever re-release that. Like I think a Nintendo knows it has a, a lineup of a lot of classics and it seems to be pretty happy about porting it. And I just they wish they weren't well. so stringent on, uh, on their P on like releasing on PC. Cause that would be amazing. I feel like Nintendo is uh, going to continue to stick to their guns on that. They did branch out with their smartphone stuff, but that's kind of, as far as they've gone. I wonder if we'll ever see the day where Nintendo becomes a publisher of games only, like a, a software publisher like Sega did. Yeah. I don't know, because they seem to be enjoying pushing the envelope on their consoles and trying a lot of new exciting things to encourage play, which is... It's always interesting to see that Nintendo is still kind of like a toy company first in some ways. Mm. That much I agree with. That's actually a really good perspective on that. Yeah, because they always... I, I do hope they can kind of figure out the uh, <laughs> the stupid um, headphone thing that they have going on for, for chat. Oh, you, do you guys not... Have have you not seen that? Like you have to plug something into your smartphone? Into your phone and then into the actual device itself. And it's just a, a mess of cables. And then also what? a headset. So you got like cables going about three ways. That's mm-hmm. baffling. No, yeah, thanks. it's an absolute disaster. Uh, for every like two times they seem to hit a home run, they seem to strike out completely on another idea. Yeah, I wonder if it seems that's like Labo doesn't sort of... seem to be getting as much attention as people thought. I wonder. Yeah, I I don't really know because I feel like Labo is it's oriented at again like basically kids or or creatives, and mm. I don't think the average sort of mainstream gamer fits into that demographic quite as much. So like. You have a lot of people who are buying Labo for their kids and stuff, but they're, they're not the people who are on forums, like, debating the merits of whether or not this Labo is good or that one's better. Or, like, you know, this playset is too limited because blah, blah, blah. I think the idea is that parents are buying them for their kids and they're just kind of, like, enjoying and playing and maybe we're not hearing as much about it. I'm not trying to excuse. If it's doing poorly, it's doing poorly, but... Um, like, I, I think know... in Japan it did not sell through much of its stock, I heard, or something like really? that. Luckily, it's all recyclable since it's good, on the yeah. cardboard. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say because I feel like just throw it away. Yeah, there's there's an affinity. People probably have those stupid Wii balance boards still. Oh yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. When I worked at GameStop, we had so many of those clogging up the back room. It was disgusting. 
yeah. the amount of wasted plastic and stuff. It's unfortunate, <laughs> and there's there's a use for them, but it's just, and that's you know it's again where Nintendo tries to push its boundaries and try and find new exciting ways to engage its audience, and obviously, yeah, sometimes it does fall short a bit, and then we end up with you know. Uh, the Wii in general just had like a landfill of just like random titles nobody ever cared about. Oh yeah, and peripherals and how many people yeah, have bongos somewhere. just sitting around, right? Yeah. You know what? I'm not gonna not gonna sit here and take this abuse being heaped on my favorite game, 101 Carnival Games for the Wii. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I worked at GameStop when that came out, and they've had the stupid uh, Cotton Eye Joe song playing. Ah, yeah, no, murder. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. shoot me in the face. Like, da, na, 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 na. I don't even well, know the lyrics. I don't want to yeah. know. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to think about that song. My IQ my goes head. down when I hear it. <laughs> now every person has a sensitive podcast hates us. It's <laughs> officially stuck in their head. Rumor has it, if you leave it on for somebody for twenty four hours, they'll be left drooling at the end of the night. Yeah, they will go insane. <laughs> um, yes. But so the alive. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh really cool cast of characters in that one too. I, I ended up liking just about everybody and the music. One thing I like about Hamauzu is that he likes to do more ambient stuff sometimes. Yeah, yeah kind of more trancey and ambient stuff every so often. He doesn't neglect the kind of violins and you know, kind of more rocking tracks that you'd get for a video game, of course, but like uh a lot of his mood pieces in that in that game are really good. And are like, the really ambient like the burning realm. So- Sorry. Sorry. Are they ambient in like a in a meaningful way? Because sometimes ambience can just become like background noise, and you almost kind of discount it. It doesn't really no, like stand but out to see, you. And that's the thing I was thinking about this is that I actually thought like here's here's my hot hot take of the podcast is uh Uematsu <laughs> stuff was probably the weakest for FF10. I actually liked. I think I think Uematsu is uh, overrated as a composer for Final Fantasy. I don't think he's the best composer Final Fantasy's ever had. And I think he's done a lot of amazing stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like, And to be fair, they do have a high bar for those games that they tend to meet. <laughs> right. Like yeah. a lot of the music in those games are really good. Uh, but yeah, like like it, it always give them present. Uh, sorry, giving credit to Umatsu discounts a lot of the great stuff. A lot of the other uh, uh, people who have worked for that series have done. I think so they too. They great groundwork that probably inspired a lot of them to want to meet, match that. And if not uh, uh, supersede it. And, yeah and and but they can probably all attribute a lot of their inspiration to what he kind of the foundation he laid for the series absolutely right? and no doubt uematsu's done a ton of classics i went to go see dear friends and i'd probably go see it again in a heartbeat but like um but you know it's it's been done and i'm always happy to hear new sounds from different different composers i don't question uematsu's talent but i question his taste sometimes because like his his uh cover band or independent band earthbound papas a lot of it's just kind of like forgettable prog rock to me and i don't really think that it's exciting or fun and i wonder how much of his work is the result of like particular guidance from other creatives in the square enix studio whenever he was working on stuff but i, I mean i don't mean to like bad mouth him because the guy's a legend it's just every time i've tried to look into getting uematsu's independent like non-final fantasy stuff or mm-hmm. anytime he's contributed to another game like i remember he did the opening theme for Unchained Blades, the PSP dungeon crawler game. Yeah, yeah. And I was like pretty underwhelmed by that. So there's a few of those. Um oh, didn't he do some stuff for uh, what was it last story? Is it? Yeah. Uh, I think he did, yeah. Yeah, and like same with that, I was just kind of left with a big eh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, it was all right. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's like four tracks from it that I I, I still listen to and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Oh um, I, I think I just heard a door closing. I think that's like half our subscribers leaving. 
Oh, bye, everybody. <laughs> no, you know what, though, to this day, though, like FF7, 8, and 9 are still soundtracks I will listen to ad nauseum. Oh, they're amazing. I'm not even trying yeah. to, to diss. And like when you were saying like uh, like about certain comfort zones or something, I was like, wait a minute, the Magitech facility exists, and I love that song. Yeah, he has a lot of really <laughs> iconic work. So again, not to discount him, it's just... Uh... And Lost Odyssey. Yeah. Which was when you've got that much pro now, prolific, but... when you're that prolific, you're still bound to strike out now and again or have oh, some yeah. stuff that's subpar. But even I'm sure if we literally want to compare his subpar stuff to some other work out there, it's probably still quite solid. <laughs> He's probably the one of few mainstream ones that you can talk about. So, I mean, we're, we're not bashing because we hate him. I think it's we're bashing because he could take it. I mean, he's still so mainstream. But I mean, I love highlighting a lot of the other composers, especially yeah. since we haven't really been doing an actual music encounter lately. So, <laughs> oh, so sad. Yeah, that is Rip. something that can overshadow it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, soundtrack is great. I actually think that I played the the Burning Realms music at the end of the episode where I talked about Alliance Alive. Did you? I love that one because it yeah. sounds kind of happy. <laughs> like, it sounds uh, really warm and I love when hot tracks sound like they take place in a warm place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's like weird. a literal volcano in the Burning Realms, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like I was thinking about this when I was listening to some Tales music where like the desert town has like either a very upbeat like kind of flamenco kind of sound to it because it's kind of funny. Um, or, or sometimes it has a very slow beat because it, it sounds very hot and lazy. Yeah, and so I just think everybody's it's really tired. Cool can, yeah, and everyone's tired. So I think it's cool when you can actually get those kind of moods across. And uh, yeah, Alliance Lives does that with its with its unique realms. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Another thing I want to brag about is um, Overworld, the battle theme doesn't change, so it just lets you hear the music. Which is I feel nice. a lot of games could take a point on that. Like, uh, I know Xenoblades, because they have such great overworld music, you know, people don't want to always hear the battle theme. It'd be <laughs> nice to toggle it or something, like, to have an option that says, use battle music or just keep playing background. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, or like, you know, in Xenoblade X when you're flying around and you get to hear that song every, oh every time. So ridiculous. Yeah. That soundtrack is so mm -hmm. uh, divisive. I think it's fun, but uh, it's, it's not my perfect. favorite. It's not my favorite. Like there, there are some. It's not my favorite. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, great. We, yeah, we, we got to sit and talk about this and iron out our feelings. Yeah, and then apparently box <laughs> once we're done. It's not even <laughs> Boxing Day. Haha, <laughs> Canada joke. So you'd say like you you enjoyed the game overall. You beat it. Um, fun cast, good music, just what you needed, huh? Fun cast, good music. Yeah, that's what it is. I think it's just a game that came in at the right place, right time. If if you're a player who's looking for a bit of a challenge, uh, charming characters, and who doesn't mind taking a bit of punishment in, in, in order to get that achievement, you know, uh, then it's totally worth it. It's one of those games where, like, even a stat, like, plus one counts a ton. It does, yeah. <laughs> and I've always appreciated that, yeah. Yep. Um, and there's no traditional level system, so it's, it's always fine to find games that like to go around that. It's not always successful, but it is indeed uh, different. I'll give it that. Yeah. Uh, well. Uh, but yeah, I totally recommend it. Good. Yeah, I I enjoyed it as well. So I'm glad to hear that you had similar feelings. And speaking of game wrap ups, Greg wanted to dish a little bit more about his sort of subsequent and final experiences with the Swords of Ditto. Now that he has finished the game and has reviewed it for RPG fan. I did, because uh, last time we talked, I hadn't quite wrapped it up yet and kind of figured out the whole gimmick to get around it all. It. Um, as you and I were talking about it, Derek, we definitely were coming across quite lukewarm in a lot of ways. Uh, as I'm sure. I still am, but that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair. I found, 
the Swords of Ditto from uh, Devolver Digital and uh, the two-person oh, yeah. team One Bit Beyond, which I didn't quite realize One Bit Beyond was just two dudes uh, working on a game. And so I find that's really impressive for the title they put out with how creative it is wow. and how artistic it is. Uh, but yeah. that all being said, I found it's, it's, for lack of a better reference, it's like a fine wine. The longer it lingers, the, the better it is in a lot of ways. Uh, it just takes time to kind of get into and and figure out the systems. And I think if you've got the patience for it, it really pays off eventually. But I can completely understand where those frustrations lie as I've, I voiced in my review, but I just, I really found the more I kept playing it and the more I started understanding the world and the systems and how they all can be mastered. I found the game incredibly satisfying. Okay. I could probably make it, it's akin to me uh, with my experience in Final Fantasy VIII actually, because the first time I tried it, I bounced off that game hard and did not really enjoy it whatsoever as most people still don't. I'm actually really looking forward to doing a replay of that one day. Yeah, because I think I feel as you felt right now. I'm just kind of like, eh. so that and was weird. <laughs> exactly. And then I went back to it a few years ago, and I just took the time to actually understand how the systems work in that game. And once you know how to manipulate and understand it, you feel really powerful and feel quite intelligent for figuring it out and mastering it. And it's very satisfying. I... I like that because I feel there's a lot of misunderstood RPGs on that front where it's like, you know, some of them you really do have to take your time to figure out the systems in order to get the most out of it. And sometimes it's not always easy. No, and especially when we live in an era where so much of it is handed to us, uh, yeah. the explanations and whatnot. I, I do appreciate, especially in the Swords of Ditto, it's got a very show-don't-tell mentality for a lot of things. But as, mm -hmm. a, again, Derek and I discussed a little bit, it would have been nice if there was an option to at least kind of go and track down how to learn more about these intricate systems. Right, yeah. Like, more in-game explanation. Yeah. Like, they, they don't need to have a tutorial for every little simple thing, because that would just be obnoxious and like, every other game out there. But at least if they just had, like, a, oh, I could walk over here and look at my library and learn more about these things, a la, say, Harvest Moon. You can figure it out through trial and error, or you can go read about it ad nauseum to figure out how to plant all your crops, this, that, whatever. I, I really do like the difference between uh, Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild for that on that level, like where, you know, handholding at its worst versus handholding probably at most of its best. But Master, how are you supposed to know if your batteries are low or not? Oh, God. Uh, Why? Try swinging your sword to defeat the enemy. I think that, like, warning comes in when your battery is only, like, half dead, too. So, I mean, like, there's still a ton of juice in it, and it's so obnoxious. I want to like, hope uh, that was but, a like, Zelda assumes that, like, you can probably figure this out. It shouldn't be that hard to figure out if you press this button what'll happen. You don't need to tell people that. Exactly. And most games can take that far too uh, great a degree to <laughs> go into explanation on. There's definitely, uh, yeah, mileage definitely varies on that between from title to title, I think. <laughs> At any rate. All that being said, Swords of Ditto, solid game in the Did you end. do co-op for it? Uh, I did a little bit with Gwen. Uh, I had mm -hmm. to do it with Annette. Uh, but Gwen and I did have a good time. She also played with her dad when he came over and looked after her one night for us. And they had a good time with it as well. It's just, oh, nice. it's very easy to jump into. And that's where the game lies. It's easy to jump into. It's easy to digest. It's definitely hard to master in some regards. Mm -hmm. Like you just have to have that patience to kind of fully invest in the systems and explore. But once you kind of figure out how to manipulate like time and get good stickers to upgrade your character and such, it really starts to hum and you feel good about what you're doing. Which is still a little surprising considering how sort of 
uh, approachable its art style is because it seems like it wants to be the kind of game that yeah a kid could just jump into but that like greg said there is quite a lot that you have to dig into yeah no yeah because i've been looking for a ton of co-op games uh for a ton of co-op stuff these days so i mean the more games that have that the better this is a good one for it and it is strictly uh, couch co-op it's there's no online for it so if that's that's awesome makes or break it for you that's fair like i mean part of me would love to play it with uh like derek online but uh i'd <laughs> yeah. love getting me to play that but it's <laughs> it's super fun just to yeah pick up with a friend and just be like hey you know how to play with legend of zelda right cool just swing and hit things and i'll True. the rest yeah <laughs> so. i mean yeah on that level it is it is easy to figure out but what's once you have to go beneath the surface to all of the various complex systems that it kind of starts to get uh overwhelming but it can be exactly and then once you've done it enough then you kind of get it going but yeah it just takes a while to get there so i still mm-hmm. think they've done good work and yeah and then you I, can I look forward like looking to looking at uh rpgs like at the beginning and the end of of a file you know like at the beginning it's like you know you basically just do attacks for like single digit damage and at the end when you're you know dishing out about 20 different skills multiple attacks <laughs> you know stacked uh s- stacking uh status ailments and all that stuff yeah like, you oh, become a god and and I feel bad that sometimes games have a real <laughs> become a god. <laughs> uh, but I feel bad that some of these games do have a long time before you can kind of really, you know, really bite into the the best parts of its content. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I know a lot of people chastise uh, Final Fantasy 13 for it to finally open up in its <laughs> in its like uh, 11th hour chapter. Right. It's been the huh? RPG model for years. Just as like D and D's always done that thing too, right? You know, at level one, you're yeah. probably going to be a wizard who's going to die at the hands of a rabbit. But a level nine wizard and then a level nineteen wizard are going to be like ending worlds. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, yeah, it's always that slow burn of like slowly releasing new skills to you, so you can slowly acquire the talents and understanding to manipulate them. I guess because mm-hmm. I mean, if they threw everything at all, the entire cast of characters and all their abilities at you in Xenoblade uh, Chronicles, for example, I would have been like, what? No, uh, brain just would have shut down. <laughs> yeah, well, you need you need time to wean onto a game systems. Which yeah. uh, little sidebar, something that I've actually experienced difficulty with that in the last couple of days because I started playing Path of Exile a little bit with a couple of my friends. Right, you and were yeah, right now there's there's like my online game of choice is Final Fantasy fourteen, of course, but there's kind of a content drought, um, but not for much longer, as we'll discuss later in the podcast. But so Path of Exile seemed my friend recommended it because he was really into it. And it's, you know, like a Diablo clone, basically, if you want to be really simplistic in the comparison. I think you've got the sphere health. (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. So like you've got little flasks for your health and everything. But the idea with Path of Exile and we talked about this many, many moons ago on the podcast. Um, Steven was playing it and really, really enjoyed it. And I think Rob bounced off of it because he's Rob, but um, <laughs> I, I've been playing it and it's got basically like Final Fantasy X's Sphere Grid as the character customization system and there's oh, cool. a ridiculous amount of skills to choose from. You start as one of six base classes and um, the classes are basically just like tied to an attribute and then where they start on the Sphere Grid and there's like 1300 plus nodes on it. Oh Each God. of which gives you either, I mean, most of them give you just like a stat upgrade, uh, upgrade or increase, but some of them do things like fundamentally change how the class is played, giving you things like, okay, your character can no longer dodge attacks, but they can no longer be hit with criticals and stuff like that. So 
I like oh those gosh. kind of balance offs though when it comes yeah. to skills and equipment. So the I game is like the skill tree. It's insane. It's ridiculous. It's like a, it looks like a, a Christmas sweater. It's so intricate. And so the point that I was going to get to is like, I appreciate that flexibility in the uh, game design, but oh my God, it is too much for me. I cannot process it. Like there's something I realized that I seem to have this problem whenever it comes to, um, to like learning new tabletop games, playing deck building games or TCGs, or for some reason, a bunch of Western RPG systems. Like my brain just doesn't seem to compute it correctly. Like, I get overwhelmed really quickly if I'm presented with too many options at once and I tend to kind of shut down. Like when I was playing this the other night, uh, we played it for a few hours and I was listening really hard and trying to absorb all the information. And my friend was like, okay, you picked the shadow class. So you should probably take this, 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 and then yeah. build towards this. And I, I like, I lost my ability to process. And it got to the point where we were playing and I was just like sleepy because my brain was so tired from trying to take it all in. I don't know what it is. So, when a game That's does that, thing. yeah, and when a game does that, like I appreciate that that is absolutely oriented towards a specific type of player, and I love how open games like Path of Exile are. But for me, like I apparently just can't do it. And I mean, I could put a lot of effort into it, but it stops being fun to me at that point because I'm just so overwhelmed by choice. I, I like, feel like I only have room for like one game to do that for me, or like one series that I'm I'm willing to kind of take on that burden of information for. Learn yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, like like I, th I think I was mentioning before the show, like eh, like I've been playing a lot of Xenoblade lately, and for those games, there's quite a lot to take in for a few of them, uh, and it's like the only series that I'll kind of let it for. Uh, Xenoblade X has a pretty commanding amount of uh, gameplay systems and oh, yeah. stats to throw at you. Like I don't, I don't really blame anybody if they get kind of tuned out by that. And I'm really happy that its main game is kind of okay for you to kind of disregard it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but basically all the post content. I mean, you, f to get the most out of a game, to get you know your 100% and all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you really got to sit down with it. You Go got to read the forums. You got to look Sorry. at the documents and all that stuff for stats. You know, for stats and and all that jazz. Well, I was going to ask you, Derek, if this stems from your. I remember you were talking about on the podcast uh, with Final Fantasy XII once its remake came out, and how you were somewhat paralyzed in your decisions for what classes to kind of um, commit to. Is yeah, yeah. you're worried about committing to like think, the wrong path or yeah well there's two i think there's two elements there for me one i do worry about when i make a, a decision in a game that i have to commit to that i can't ever undo because the first time you play a game like you might not know what your style is what's best what you want to do so if there is no flexibility i'm like oop i picked the wrong class and like if i yeah. have to pick a class and then i can like reset that character and start over that's fine but if it's a game where it's like you're locked into that class and the only thing you can do is start a new save file, then that really stresses me the hell out. So yeah. that an investment over time kind of thing that uh, is a struggle now that you're an adult or is it something yeah. for as you were a kid, um, you have more time and can maybe start over? I wonder because I can be pretty decisive in general. Like, uh, you know, if you have groups of friends who do the whole like, where should we go out to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I'll make the decision. I don't give a damn. I'll tell you where we're going. I but, don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> but like... Chili's. <laughs> so I, I can be decisive, but when it comes to games, I guess it's like, I don't know. I I guess because it's something I'm doing for leisure and I don't want to feel like I'm making a bad choice that I can never undo. It's just, I don't know. It just kind of paralyzes me, but. Because games um, are a pretty long thing. I mean, we're looking, like, we I feel like we deal with a different set of obstacles when we like RPGs because they are so long, because they are a commitment. 
It, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, think... I mean, I actually appreciate when, you know, the, the good old gaming collective comes together and makes like uh, FAQs for games or, you know, just right. like, like topics. Like, please help me. <laughs> yeah. Sort so, yeah. for me so I don't have to step in the pitfalls. Yeah, yeah, for like real. Mine's alive. I knew about the snow sections, so I made sure to grind like mad, and it was still pretty hard. Yeah, I'm <laughs> the, glad final, that you the boss that you face at the end of that is just like I was like uh, reformatting my group for like two hours just trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's rough. So I do, I do appreciate when there are people willing to do the kind of meta stuff and help um, suss that a lot for you. But I think I was going to say the second element of the the Final Fantasy XII thing is. I would actually say I vastly, vastly prefer the Zodiac job system to the original version of Final Fantasy XII because... I gotta get back into that game. I, I completely lost track of it. But yeah, please tell me because I didn't like Final Fantasy XII the first time I came out. So please elaborate what? on what you... Right, I'm well, sorry. I didn't I didn't love twelve. Like I, I felt let down in some ways by twelve. It wasn't anything to do with like art or music. But when twelve came out, I think we probably discussed this before, but oh well. Uh, the things that I didn't like about it originally were I felt like the characters lacked depth. At least some of them did. Some of them were fine. Like Ash and uh, Balthier and, and Bosch were all fine. But, you know, um, Fran doesn't really do much. Vaughn and Penelope don't do much. So anyway, I felt like a lot of characters were lacking depth. And I felt like everybody was the same in terms of battle. Like, yes, when you get down to it, there are differences in terms of like some characters have different animation speeds for different weapons. So you can kind of really get into the the, the meta with that oh, um, yeah. like well the whole the whole thing was like balthier is by default a gun user and he has the slowest gun animation in the game oh yeah that's right you talked about this before yeah. oh yeah. i guess they made it flashy for him because i don't know i cool i guess that. but like so it's suboptimal to have him use a gun because other people are faster at it so there is weird irony like that yeah that is weird and so it's interesting there, in a Final Fantasy game that that is a factor now, considering how the active time system used to work, where it was just charge time and boom, they did their attack. But now right. animation factors in. That's bizarre. Exactly. So with the original Final Fantasy XII, you were given, you know, immediately every character has access to the same license board. And so you kind of have to, like, on your own, decide what type of character you want to build and, and build towards it without, like, with your own self-imposed stru structure. Whereas in Zodiac Age... The game, you know, has all of these rigid sort of job paths, quote unquote, where you can go down each of them. And it's like, I know what I'm getting when I choose to make, you know, Fran a Bushido. I know what I'm going to get because it told me what a Bushido does. So so I'm, I'm more comfortable making that decision than I would be like saying, like, if the game said you have 50 skill points per character and you can never undo any of them. Go. Yeah. Like that would stress me out way more than having to pick a job because at least when I pick the job, like I may not want to be locked into it, but at least I know what it was. And then the the Zodiac job system lets you pick two jobs per character, which I think like totally um, sort of bypasses that issue for me because there are 12 jobs. So if every character picks two, you could theoretically have, you know, access to every single job's abilities, maybe not in the right combinations for like the most optimized run, but you don't lose access to any ability or whatever. You can dabble. So, Right. I could dabble. I'm a dabbler. Yeah. So I like and to dabble. it sounds like the same issue a lot of people have with like Skyrim that also have the original Final Fantasy twelve with the option of having too much freedom in their character design. Like I have no problem being the kind of person's like, This guy's gonna be an archer. I'm gonna build him on that path and I'm gonna roleplay as him. It would make no sense for him to be a thief, so I'm not just gonna steal stuff, whereas people just like I have to max out everything. Yeah, and I did the same thing at twelve. Like I had specific character roles for each one, so I had no issue with that mechanic but i can see how some other some folks just have that completionist need to fulfill check every skill box so to speak and it can get very overwhelming 
yeah for them i just like, like i found out i made a, 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 a yeah like i made a bit of a brain dead decision when i when i started the job stuff in final fantasy 12 and i was like ah oh, crap yeah i mean <laughs> so far in you know right i just want enough structure to make an informed decision about how i want to build a character or where i want to go in a world or whatever and then, See, and then I can RPGs take it from there. RPGs are not something you really want to make permanent decisions on, right? Yeah, I don't know. Permanent decisions on it. Yeah. I guess I'm just really flighty and kind of like mercurial when it comes to no, games. No, I get it. Stuff. I totally like, do my research. Like when I'm when I'm playing a game, I definitely do my character research. Like you know, best uh, you know, best uh, setups and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like, this I, character I is a mage. As well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is uh, another, like, a sidebar to a sidebar. So my boyfriend <laughs> has been playing The Legend of Dragoon on his Vita recently. Yeah. I've it's, been, it's been fun to watch him revisit it because, like, The Legend of Dragoon is pretty hokey, you guys. It came out <laughs> just yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it was trying bit. really hard to be the FF7 clone, and I, I loved and it's it. So under the radar out. too. I think it yeah. was Neil who pointed out the funniest thing in, uh, in, the, in Rose's uh, animations. What? What was it? They're just kind of weirdly graphic. Oh, okay. <laughs> like at one point, she does some sort of special attack, and you see some black sludge come out of her, out of like her bottom. Oh. <laughs> So I just love the 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 battle shouts for all the additions. More and more, oh. volcano. <laughs> Oh yeah, I dance. love the menu music. Oh yeah, that like smooth menu jazz. Music. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But it I was, was gonna say, it's basically elevator music. It sounds exactly like elevator music. Can you please edit in the the menu music when you can? Sure, <laughs> I will. The, uh, I was just gonna say, I, I don't know what reminded me, and I'm probably off topic now. But he's been playing that, and so I always hated using Shayna in that game because oh, she's yeah. the archer and she doesn't have additions. So her regular attack just always is just boop, one little arrow. And I was like, why would I use her? That's so stupid. I want to do the additions. Um, it turns out, as Jeremy has learned through like researching meta, she's the best user of like magical attack items and stuff. And there oh. are some items that do things like once per battle, you can use it to grant a physical shield to a character for three turns, that kind of stuff. So she's actually really good at doing that. And that's not something that I ever would have thought of. Like... I feel like you would have to research outside of the game to know that she's good at that. And then once you know it, you're like, oh, she's totally worth having in your party. There's, uh, I know there's like one spell in uh, in Trails in the Sky that gives you complete immunity and you basically need it for some of the super bossing at the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah like same thing. I just love when you are uh, even Alliance Alive. They have a, like a dedicated shield class. You know, that's that's uh, totally meant to take the hits like that. And I don't know why I think I guess like, yeah, if you were to ask me, I would be a tank. If, if, <laughs> if this were to happen, but I've uh, come yeah. to appreciate the tank role in recent games. Yeah. And those subtle <laughs> skills can be hard to overlook uh, to see their worth in the grand scheme where you're just like, why would I want to play as like just a shield class or why would I want that one? Right. Why would I want to have a character? Stuff? Exactly. Why would I have a want to play my character as somebody who's using items out of my inventory every turn instead of like this dude who can turn into a dragoon and do like fire flips and Crap, like, exactly. to use it really well like i guess it's a case-by-case -case basis right where they actually if they actually choose to make you know the defend command actually something kind right. of interesting and that's even that brings into the whole idea of like how useful are status ailments in this rpg because in some games they don't matter and you would never use them <laughs> ever like you would never cast paralyze or silence and then there's a game like smt where you live and die by yeah, did i use Kaja? did yeah. i did I like sufficiently exploit their weakness? Did I did I silence him? Okay, good. I can win. Otherwise, Matador is going to stomp me into paste. Because FF12 had the active battles going all the way through, it actually finally made sense to buff yourself just for like those 
random encounters. Right. I literally think it's how I got through that Canari boss fight. <laughs> in Final Fantasy X was just a, a, a shoot, shitload, sorry, load of uh, status <laughs> ailments. <laughs> There's, everyone's just going to get all these like chocobo, chocobo, chocobo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just to go back to your original, original point, which I've like diverged from twice. Steph was playing Xenoblade, which is how we got into the discussion of all the uh, like complexity of menus and character building and I stuff. I love Melia. <laughs> Melia? Yeah, she's fun yeah, with a lot of stuff buffing stuff. Ah, yes. I see your and strength is the yeah. genuine article. Uh, and again, the I just want to keep going on and, on and on and on. Oh, which <laughs> reminds me. Um, okay, so apparently part of the E3 rumors is they've actually started divulging uh, stuff about DLC for Xenoblade 2. Okay. Uh, this may or may not come as a surprise. If it's not, here's a fair warning to to pause the uh, podcast. Is this a spoiler warning? Not a big one. It's just one of the rare blades is apparently a cameo. And if you can okay. guess it's... Uh, it's <laughs> so, is it going to yeah. be Ryan time? Yeah, it's going to not Ryan time, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's still a funny line. No, it's yeah. Apparently, they found I'm really feeling it in uh, in in databases. Well, Zeke says that anyway, but yeah. <laughs> no, oh, but yeah. He? So apparently, that's one of the rumors. Um, I, when they first announced that way back with the season pass, where they're like, oh yes, because originally it was like we'll release. A rare blade one was what it said in the first place, and I was like, "Well, if it's only one, it's got to be Shulk, right?" And they oh, they put out what is it? The the glasses wearing wearing Tielos in there. Oh God, yes. This is a weird mix of fetishes that they're just like. Oh, I think yeah. Zettelblade is totally aware of what it's doing with that, but yeah. okay. Let's just get Riki in there as a rare blade. I would have rather is, that. Is he gonna have <laughs> glasses and huge cleavage too, and like a little bit of ass showing? I don't know, because like some of the Zettelblade two models get really so. weird looking when they mix the art <laughs> styles. So Oh, wait, is are they going to have in his tidy whities Oh, that No, the, uh, Riki doing fan service. No. <laughs> With his big fuzzies, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so apparently, uh, allegedly, uh, what the DLC is about, I don't know if you want me to say it, just like the setting anyways. I, again, I don't feel They've so much of a spoiler now. if you played the game. Yeah, anyways, yes. yeah, warning, warning, warning. Uh, so apparently they're going to be talking about all this stuff during the, 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 the Aegis War. It's actually going to take place in that. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, that's sort of the so one area of the story. As, uh, that Adam and all that. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I think that's actually a really good choice because it seems like they don't really want to talk about like the epilogue and all that stuff. And that's fine. And they it's shouldn't done. because I yeah. think it's pretty definitively over. Yeah. So. <laughs> Did you see that they uh, added Nia into the into the opening, into the title screen? Sorry. No. Yeah. Apparently one of the patches will put a, uh, so like, you know how you get like a different cut in for every chapter that you're in? Okay, uh, yeah. So they've patched the game, and uh, apparently, if you wait like a, a minute or something like that, Nia joins in. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. She deserves it. She does. I know. She's so cute. Yeah, well, I thought that was going to be like a fun sort of aspect of like the old like Mario Kart sixty four, where like if you beat the game in a certain way, then the uh, the title screen changes. I like when they do that. I Me like too. When they do that oh, so like much. I don't think this is a spoiler, so please don't say anything else beyond this. But Final Fantasy fifteen's title screen changes when you beat it. Oh yeah, that's true. I like that actually. Oh wait, the Me title too. screen? Yeah. Does it have yeah. the second logo? Yeah. Little yes. Okay. I love that. I thought that was actually really nice. It's a good touch. Yeah. Oh, Tied right God. in with the ending. I, I, I know you guys have already probably talked about the Final Fantasy DLC, so I don't want to do that anymore. Oh yeah, we're not doing that anymore. But I'm just like, we've we've gotten ad on, on it. it. Like, oh. Yeah. Well, we will talk about Final Fantasy 15 again on the podcast as they um, either release more information about the DLC or after they've been out and we played them. But we've kind of exhausted that for now. Stuff will probably come up from E3, no doubt. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing that that's usually true is the Square Enix booth is usually tons of fun. They got everything going on. So they do. It's like, huge. It's always like just an absolute cacophony and uh, laser light show give you a seizure, but it's fun. <laughs> also, uh, we got to see. I think it was year before last when they were demoing a bunch of Final Fantasy fourteen Heaven's Word accolades. Like we had RPG fan, our name was up on the big uh, screen in the like the mega trailer area. Yeah, it was fun. Plus, we got oh, to hang up all of our little award placards that uh, Mike made last year. I hope we get to do that again this year. Yeah, those the, looked really great. The publishers really liked getting those. Those are so cool. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I still just in general, it was actually a lot of fun talking with everybody there. Like, I, I can't was. wait to be reporting on that again. Yeah, me too. And it's only about a month out, guys. That's that's yeah. my eventual dream to maybe get there as well someday. Yeah, but, uh, please do. It's great. At least you're I've on the right coast for it. To. Yeah, exactly. It's not uh, that far off for me to get out to. And I mean, last year I debated crashing it when it was open to the public. But it'd <laughs> yeah. be much more fun to be there in an official capacity and be supporting the website. And the yeah, website. you won't get a lot of the stink eye that you get from uh, from the rest of the press. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested how they're going to uh, mitigate that this year, but we can probably talk about that uh, when we actually do the actual E3 episode. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about E3 uh, in just a bit, actually, because I want to talk a bit about some of the announcements that have been made yep. regarding schedules and such. But there is one last game that I wanted to mention on the podcast today, uh, separate from E3, etc. It's a game that I've been playing um, in the last, just for the last week or so, and I think I've picked it up as my sort of main game of the moment. It's something that I imported back when it released, and I haven't uh, put too much time into it until now. And that is Nayuta no Kiseki. This oh, is yes. the Trails series, so Kiseki Trails series spin-off action RPG. They they had the this gall the to one, right? yeah, it's on PSP. They had the, the gall to assign it its own genre, which is story action RPG, as if there's never been any other action <laughs> RPG with a story before so this basically, one. Basically, like they're trying to do like Trails meets Yeez in a way. Yes. So uh, the so the funny thing about Nayuten or Kiseki is that well. First of all, story-wise, it's not really related to any other of the Trails slash Kiseki games. Um, I've heard that there are some like vague suggestions to how they might be in the same universe, but mm-hmm. this is uh, more or less a standalone thing. And it actually shares more in common with games like Guruman or Zvai than it does with uh, the Kiseki series. So it's, it's an action RPG. Similar, I guess. It does, yeah. So it's like an action RPG, but it's like it's not quite as fast as East. But it's it's not slow, but it's definitely more to the to the tempo of something like Savai than it is to East, because East is like super lightning fast, whereas Nayota is a little bit more deliberate. Um, so, if the first thing you notice if you look up Nayota no Kiseki is like the environments are just super colorful. This is yeah. probably one of the the better looking games on the PSP in terms of just how much they were able to do with the the graphical engine. Like, it's it starts out on kind of a tropical island. And a lot of the areas you go through are, um, you go through like ruins and stuff because the main sort of thematic uh, thrust of the game is you're playing as Nayuta, who's this like young astronomer kid. And he was studying at some kind of um, academy and he comes back to his home island, which is Remnant Island or Isle of Remnants or whatever. This is the Japanese version. It has never received an English release, but hopefully it will at some point. I would love to see this on Steam, by the way. It would be a perfect fit for Steam. But anyway, um, Nayuta is like, interested in these things that fall from the sky. They're like star pieces or fragments. And each of them is sort of like uh, like a little, think about spheres from Final Fantasy X, how like they're little objects where you can 
see projected images, but instead of being like recorded movies, as far as I can tell, they're just sort of um, images. So in the, the reflected star fragments, you can see like scenery from another world more or less. And people talk about like what that is. I think, I don't know what they officially call it, like lost world or something, lost heaven. And so Nayuta like believes that it exists and wants to know more about it. So very early in the story, he has an encounter with this little fairy named Noi who um, lives or is from Lost Heaven. I think it's called Lost Heaven, I, I forget. And uh, he gets to go there and explore it. So it's like a whole bunch of these sort of fantastical environments that are interconnected. And um, he starts exploring and finding more about the mystery of his world. And uh, so I was mentioning the graphics. So each of the air, like the main dungeons in Naitono Kiseki has four seasonal variants. So if you imagine the forest in Secret of Mana, that has like the spring with the cherry blossoms and then the summer where it's all uh, green and then um, winter where it's all icy and stuff. So every area and every dungeon in Naito no Kiseki, which they're not the longest ever, but they all have the four seasonal variants. Yeah. That's satisfying. Yeah. And so I remember they're... watching a few trailers. Yeah. Cause they didn't release it here. So I just watched a bit of it on YouTube and yeah, I remember thinking it looked really, really cool. Yeah. I, I would love to see them release it here. And I have a feeling Xseed would actually pounce on that if 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 it became possible. Yeah, especially because we we don't know. Right now, the Kiseki or Trail series is kind of up in the air in terms of English releases because we don't know what's happening next. Yeah. Like, Seno Kiseki 3 came out in Japan last year. And we're, uh, Seno Kiseki 4 is gearing up to release in Japan this year, but we just haven't heard anything since Cold Steel 2 re-released on Steam here and stuff. So I would love it if Xseed could also pick up Nayuta no Kiseki and do something with that, because um, this is just like a really solid action RPG. And I I remember hearing from some other folks that the story in Nayuta no Kiseki is like bad. But to me so far, I mean, again, Japanese, um, my second language, and I'm intermediate, maybe upper intermediate. Um, I feel like it's just sort of, predictable more than anything like it doesn't come across as bad the characters are fine so far but i i don't really think that it's setting the world on fire but like also other trails games have that thing where you have a lot of characters who seem pretty bland or predictable and then they really surprise you by having all this unexpected depth or like maybe they're double agents or whatever so um, we're secret princes that happens a lot yeah um <laughs> with one particular example yeah but yeah Best so example uh, he's great olivier <laughs> So I'm having a really good time playing this. It's like, uh, it's breezy. It's really, really colorful. And the soundtrack is so good. I had, uh, before the game came out, I remember like furiously checking iTunes for the release of the soundtrack. And I, I super recommend it. It's on US iTunes right now. It's the Nayuta no Kiseki soundtrack. And it's, I don't know how much it is, probably like 20 bucks or so. The, the fact that we have like Zvi 2 or, you know, uh, what was it? The, yeah. uh, I forgot the Arches title. Adventure and the uh, Ilvard Insurrection. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I, I've had that game soundtrack since it actually came out in Japan, like what, almost 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe a little less than that. But um, uh, but yeah, like Falcom tends to really, really kill the soundtrack department. <laughs> yep. And this one is no <laughs> exception. So highly, highly recommend at the very least going online and looking for the soundtrack to the game. Um, you may uh, find something interesting if for some reason you were to type the words Nayuta Endless Trails into your browser. I don't know what that's all about, but you might find something cool if you did that. Uh, not that I recommend it. And I, I always you know, want to support like these companies that are doing amazing work. So I would love it if we got an official English release of Nayuta no Kiseki or an English release at all <laughs> um, on Steam, just because like Steph was saying, since they bothered to do it with games like Zvi, 
thinking about it, those were on PSP as well, but they were also on PC. So porting those to an uh, English client wasn't really. Oh, I get why you recommended that. But um, but <laughs> if if we could get an English PC release of that here, that would be so good. Yeah, it's sort of like a fun, breezy action RPG with great music, um, super colorful backgrounds, and um, I'm liking it. So at the very least, maybe you could just like import the the PSP version. PSPs are region free, and you could just mess around with it. And it's got a lot of text, so it's not the most import friendly game out there. But we're done. Yes. my hand over here. Yes, uh, yes. Neuta, what does that mean? <laughs> Um, like what is a, what's the English title? I guess it's a better question. Well, his name is Nayuta, the oh, main character, and then Nayuta. Um, yeah. Does the kanji of its name mean anything? Yeah, I think I think the kanji are supposed to be like infinite or something like that. Um, I'd have to look it up because I I don't know that combination of kanji and also like uh, kanji used for names don't necessarily have like a direct meaning all the time. Okay. But there, you can piece together different things. Like, um, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I'm thinking of this. But an example I learned recently is I learned the kanji for wisteria, the the flower, because it's really commonly used in names. Like, and it's pronounced Fuji, but like Fujiko is like wisteria child, and it's a common name. So really? it's one of those things where like the the kanji in Nayuta are indicative of a meaning. Yeah, uh, I just looked it up. It's like. An extremely great number, often said to be 100 million. That's what my dictionary says. Mm -hmm. So I guess you could probably interpret Nayuta, besides just being a name, as like, you know, a lot infinite. Probably something to do with like the possibilities of his world or something. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. That's kanji meanings are always like weird and uh, duplicitous and multiplicitous and stuff. So I'm, I'm not like a super, super expert. But anyway. Yeah, so uh, besides the games that we've been playing right now, there are always announcements coming out about new games and such, but there isn't a ton. Like, it's we're in a little bit of a, a slow news cycle at the moment just because E3 is so close, and a lot of these publishers are sort of saving up to it's shoot everything up. at once. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. So we went there. We did. So recently, Square Enix announced their showcase for E3. It's set for Monday, June 12th at 10 a.m. PDT. And I thought it might be fun to speculate about what they're going to show. My ho- like, I would say guaranteed they're going to show Kingdom Hearts three, and I would love it if they'd show Dragon Quest eleven. I think those two are pretty likely. I'd put money on that. Yeah, I wouldn't. I think uh, they said Bandai Namco's got something something fancy geared up as well. Mm-hmm. And we already have an appointment with them to see whatever it is. So, oh nice. I have a feeling just in the. Um... I think it's just good marketing and good faith that they're going to show some FF7 stuff, especially with all the kind of controversial upheaval that's happened lately. I wonder, yeah. I feel like they're going to have to show some stuff like Cloud's new design, all that sort of stuff that they've kind of been teasing a little bit just to say, yes, it's still happening. We're still working on it. Oh, they changed the design? Yeah, from what it was was in the original trailer stuff. But no, I mean, nobody's seen it yet, but there's stuff going around about how his design is different. And just the it's idea really that the design is different. Was... And I don't blame anybody. <laughs> if his that's hair? Yeah. yeah. I think that's for sure going to be shown. I would be shocked if they didn't do that just to placate the masses. <laughs> but that's a good point. I mean, it, it would be, I think, like you said, a sign of good faith and like a show of a genuine desire to keep their fans, you know, happy and like, to, to remind us that they are actually doing this, but I'm just sort of not holding my breath for that. Also, I remember people were talking about what Ben and Nemco was going to show actually. And somebody, somebody on staff said uh, they, they wouldn't like, Oh, I bet they'll announce a new tales game. And 
as much as I appreciate that optimism, I and I would love to be proven wrong, I really do not think that's going to happen. Uh, the the only thing I could see if like it's a and it's a long if is if they announce Tales of Vesperia just because it is the game's tenth anniversary. So I just wonder if they would do something like that. It's unlikely because I know the series is way more huge in Japan, though. This is true. Haven't Ben and Nemco come out and said every time somebody's asked for Vesperia, they're like, no, 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 not asking. no. <laughs> uh, from what you've been all telling me about the Tales series, it would seem more likely that it would be a Tokyo Game Show kind of thing. Probably. Yeah. I mean, that's just my guess based on the type of stuff I've seen at E3 in the past. It's not like impossible that they would announce it, but it, it's unlikely, I think. I just, yeah, the only reason I thought it might is because the amount of, you know, fight and fury about Vesperia. <laughs> I, like, as much as I like Vesperia, Vesperia yeah. is great. I just think people need to chill. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> let it go. They just need to port it to, a st- like, to Steam. They should just really put the entire Yeah, thing. that would be great, actually. I would appreciate I that. Although, if they're going to bother to port Vesperia to Steam, it's, it had better be the PS3 version. I don't see how it wouldn't be at this Fair. point. Yeah. Uh, the other but, thing I think Square Enix is going to remind us of is the fact that Final Fantasy XV Universe is still a thing, and yeah. that will probably give us some more stuff on the DLCs that they are developing, and mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe another fishing game. Uh, Ooh. Maybe like, no, uh, like at first I really liked how wide a net they cast, but now I just feel it's really confusing and like kind of drawing it all way too long. But yeah, I was okay with sort of the original, like, all right, we've got a movie, an anime, and then the game, and that felt okay. But then it's it just seems to expand further and further and further. They tried to really scramble for. I think part of it is to cash in on it and to try and do something new again with again uh, yeah. trying to branch out to different aspects of its universe, which I appreciate, but. Just a shame. Um, a lot of money seems to go into these games these days. I wouldn't be surprised oh, yeah. if it's they they kind of gotta, you know. I, like I, I it's kind of why I'm not really against them releasing like DLC or uh, season passes because it seems to be a, a product model that works. <laughs> I don't think it they're is. doing it. I mean... They made money. I guess I get. I know that it's infuriating, and I we get a lot of pushback from you know from a lot of our site people that I talk with. But I mean, it's clearly someone's spending money on it. Yeah, to me, again, I think I've said before, but it depends on the sort of manner of content and then also yeah. the the way that they are marketing it or like when they're beginning development on it. Because if, if you're going to sell me a game for $60 and then on the same day release a DLC pack that has some story that's obviously cut from the main narrative, like F mm-hmm. that. I'm not cool yeah, with that. But case by take case basis for sure. Yeah, it is. So, well, uh, I want Prompto Snap. I'm just putting it <laughs> oh that yeah that's kind of cool oh my god i would prefer that so much more to the fishing one i can't believe it yeah and then you Although go back I... to uh sins it's like this is great <laughs> and for the dlc you can get like a, a, gra- a gra- gravure model mode where you just get everybody to pose and you take oh pictures god. sorry <laughs> just like they've already got the all-terrain vehicle so they don't even need that you can just throw it on rails and there you go oh yeah. did you guys play the dlc with that was that fun or the patch it, it, it's actually Makes uh, it's weird. I I still prefer getting around via chocobo because it just feels less invasive. Yeah, uh, but it still was really easy just to to just hop in and just go wherever you want and not have to worry about. Okay, now I got to get out and summon my chocobo and now try to cross. Like you just go there. But a part of me, I just don't like the style of the vehicle as much. It's not as satisfying to look at as the classic uh, regalia. But, I feel like um, the yeah. story really is kind of botched. Like all I would have really preferred is if they like opened up that that final land and just made that like an explorable territory. 
Mm. Yeah. Which lane yeah. is that? Yeah, like, I think I would have preferred that instead of more kind of story sequences. Yeah, and be careful of, of uh, spoiling stuff. I know Final Fantasy XV, I feel like, is past the spoiler mark, but um, we did have somebody request that we refrain from going into more oh. 15 story stuff. So Apologies. Yeah, no worries. Um, they did expand uh, one of the endgame areas with the Royal Edition, though. So it's not the whole world, but um, it is, is a it large Bordeaux, I think. No, it's like Royal Edition expanded the um, final area of the game into a full new Windows edition that just has anybody played it though? Like, is it actually very yeah. expansive or like? It was yeah, I, I reviewed it over at my other outlet. Yeah. Oh, it's, cool. Uh, okay. It's uh, more expansive. It's not amazing, but it's all right. They added in some some story cutscenes that I think should have been there in the first place, but I'm just glad they're there now. So it's okay. We have talked enough about FF15, though. I think we should save mm-hmm. it for when we have more news to get into. Uh, another E3 probably. thing that I wanted to bring up is Sony's E3 2018 press conference is set for June 11th. We knew it would be happening because it always happens. But I guess this year they're taking a bit of a different angle. They said they want to do, quote unquote, deep dives on four games, Death Stranding, Ghost of Tsushima, Spider-Man, and Last of Us Part Two. Now, of those, um, arguably the only one that we would cover would probably be Ghost of Tsushima. We don't know if it has RPG mechanics necessarily, but uh, it's a pretty good bet considering that's the trend du jour and it's set in like a big open uh, open world Japanese environment and stuff. So uh, my own disinterest in open world stuff these days aside, I think that what we've seen of the teasers looks cool. So I would look forward to seeing more. Oh, it looks nice, yeah. Yeah, and they said that that's not all they're showing, but that's like their main focus. So there is still potential for them to announce, I don't know, um, any, they said some third-party stuff, so maybe we'll get some cool announcements. I'm trying, I was trying to think of something off the top of my head that, that I wanted them to announce, but nothing really came to mind. Yeah, nothing really jumps out of me from Sony right now as far as them just showing other, like, the show Square stuff and whatever, but there's nothing mm-hmm. big RPG-wise I could see coming from them that would really form me. Legend of Dragoon 2! Come on, let's do it. That would be oh, incredible. God. But if they got some really cool indie stuff, even a Legend of Dragoon, like, HD remaster would be interesting. It interesting is the right word greg it would be. <laughs> be an interesting choice and i would possibly dive back into it but i would, it, I would uh, too i don't know I why totally, they would want to do that I, w- I would totally beat a horse dead i'm sorry if that analogy was violent um for 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 a final <laughs> fantasy 9 remaster well they have one on pc you mean like a full remaster i mean like yeah like a legit one yeah like be i love what they're awesome. doing with seven you mean it doesn't have to be that much either. Like, I kind of want something more middle of the way because I feel like asking something like Final Fantasy VII Remake is a lot to ask for, and I wouldn't yeah. just casually ask that. Nor do I think Nine needs it. Uh, but I would love like a proper makeover. Like, uh, uh, I know I've said it last few episodes, but like, uh, the, like I've been playing a lot of the Zelda uh, HD ports, and I think those do what they do flawlessly. You mean like the Ocarina of Time 3D kind of thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a pretty nice upgrade. That was a great upgrade. It, it kind of keeps the same bones. The, the exact same skeletal sc- structure. They do uh, tamper with a few things to make it more playable, and that's it. Yeah, and actually, the 3DS versions of the two Zelda games are some of the few 3DS games I have actively wanted to use the gyroscope for, because I like aiming. Oh, I, I love aiming. Yeah, the, the arrow bosses are so much better with that. <laughs> it feels good, yeah. Yeah. Intuitive, uh... even. My other speculation I want to go back to for a second to Square Enix. I really, really, really want them to announce that they're porting War of the Lions to Steam. Please. Oh, that'd be great. 
I think Nintendo said they got like their first title that's gonna like sell 20 million copies to announce at E3 or something like that. So Nintendo? I think yeah, Nintendo's starting to hype up a whole bunch of shit stuff. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you um, think? Yeah, what do you think it could be? A new IP? Smash seems uh, seems to be one of the big ones they're gonna be showing off for sure. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and then we'll get to find out whether that Smash is a new. Smash I, I unlikely. wonder if like a Zelda title would be part of it, and they just like do an early, early, like barely show anything kind of teaser for it. But if, I don't know. I feel it's just going to be on the same bones of uh, Breath of the Wild, right? Uh, oh, I know the Pokemon. Like, there's a lot of rumors circulating about a Pokemon for the Switch as well. That falls in our purview. Yeah, yeah, I would, <laughs> I would love that. I'm excited to see what Gen Eight is like. And like, there's a lot of talk. Like, um, would a Switch Pokemon change the change the whole thing up? Would they change up the battle system? Um, would it be online, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, well, would, I mean, would it just be another stadium game. Point number two, yes. Point number one, hopefully. I, I mean, I think the Sun Moon changed up the formula more than any Pokemon game since some of the originals did. Um, mm-hmm. Like, probably, I don't know, when they moved to Diamond Pearl, they're probably the biggest changes. Diamond Pearl was probably the biggest overall change, and then uh, Sun Moon was the biggest change after that. But yeah, I think that the Switch one has got to do something fairly different. I, I don't know. I mean, I would like it if they did, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They they could keep the same battle system, but... Would you I, want that? No, see, when Black and White came out, one of the things that... No, it wasn't Black and White. Was it? Maybe it was XY. I'm trying to think. There was one that was like, they only had the new Pokemon in that region until you beat the Elite Four. I think that was Black and White. That sounds I think Black so. and White. Because yeah. I love that. I love the idea of inhabiting a world that's like nothing but Pokemon that you're not familiar with and sort of being forced to make a team of, you know, like you can't just fall back on Pikachu. You got to choose one of the new yeah, electric you gotta new. You gotta get That's actually a really good ones. idea. I'm super into that. So I would love it. And then, of course, like people who want the old ones, you, after you beat the game, you get access to them. So. If the new Switch Pokemon comes out and has a similar formula, I want to go back to the black-white model of new Pokemon until you've seen it all and gotten through your journey. I also um, wouldn't mind if they did another thing where they introduced a lot less again and just I, like just make more forms. Like I like that uh, there's like a poodle Pokemon that you could like you know screw around with its hair or like one of the uh, yeah. bug ones with different patterns. Just do different ones. I think and like I love that there was a lot of Lola versions too. I think that was actually a really cool thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to keep going to the design board. And, uh, you know, there's been a few very questionable Pokemon designs over the years. But, like, you know, just kind of work on what you have now, I think, would be great. Yeah. The thing I, I always go back to... Right, ...was they didn't really make that many for, uh, for uh, sorry, X and Y? Yeah, they didn't. Wasn't it, like, 80 or something like that? Yeah, they had a lot less, that gen. Yeah. But, but they were still but that's fine. Questions. I mean, there's still so many. Right, yeah. I was going to say the thing I always go back to is people... Um, People love to bring up the argument, like the, I guess, so-called Pokemon purists will be like, oh, original 151 only. And they'll be like, Pokemon these days are so dumb. What do we have, an ice cream cone? And then, <laughs> you know, you it's like, well, okay, well, in Gen 1, we had uh, a Pokeball and then an upside-down Pokeball. How about that? We had a pile <laughs> a of goo. Of we had a bunch of eggs, right? Like, <laughs> it, there have always been questionable Pokemon, so it, it's not like one Gen's worse than the other. The odd time where they phone it in. Yeah, I mean, and and when you're making that many designs, right? Like it's gonna happen. So, oh yeah, Um, and there's always been those uh, for the Sony press conference. There's also been those like rumblings of a PS5 announcement. I'm not ready for that. I don't want it. I don't feel like a lot of devs are ready for it either. It doesn't seem like it's time yet, but that's just my subjective take. I think last 
generation was really long. Yeah, I mean, this one, it's because we didn't see as big of a leap between the PS3 and PS4 in terms of like raw graphical processing power. And there there was a leap, but uh, I think I've said before, I, I think that the main leap was in terms of feature set and like communication, because now now streaming is like a thing. And back when the PS4 came out, even that few uh, years ago, streaming wasn't as big. It was certainly a thing and it was like involved, but ever since then it's really blown up. Twitch yeah. is huge. And so when we, with the PS4, we saw more in terms of like uh, being able to utilize your smartphone for, for stuff as a second screen or to be able to message people. And then like we have richer community features and streaming type stuff. And I have, um, I have heard people talk about like uh, I kind of want to get your takes on this. Is that if they released another Switch, it would be like a, a portable dedicated one, or or like if they're just going to switch kind of gears onto that? I don't want that because I I think that what they've got right now is a really perfect sort of harmonious balance of handheld and and TV console. It still allows for the yeah like good couch co op and your screen. I'm not as sold on the system as a as a portable system. I find it kind of annoying for that. It's it's like for me it's less than ideal, but it's an option that I appreciate yeah. having. And I I just worry about sort of splintering the development out into if they were to make a, a second switch or even just like the same switch but a beefier handheld. You inevitably are going to get stuff like the PS4 Pro where companies are developing for one sort of hardware skew over the other. Like they're they're modifying the specs of their games to better suit one platform versus the other or one model versus the other. And I think that that's kind of, it fractures the community and like how people are able to play together. And it's just confusing just for consumers. Right yeah. Like uh, apparently Nintendo still has some items for the 3DS lined up allegedly. Like they're still mm -hmm. not done with it, but I mean... Like it's it's obviously way past its prime. It's, yeah. it's for they sure. might not be, but I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've joined a switch. Oh, 100 percent. If I could um, transfer all of my 3ds games to my switch, I'd ditch it in a heartbeat. I love um, that. Yeah, because 3ds is one of my favorite consoles ever. It just had so many awesome games to me. But... Oh, there are lots of great games. I just I'm. It's hard. I guess now I'm spoiled. It's hard for me to go back to playing on a 3ds when I have a switch in my house. And it's like the the screen is so much sharper and the controls feel better. It doesn't cramp my hands as much. Like it's bigger, it's heavier, but it's more comfortable. Um, you know, specs are better and I have access to like amazing games. Like I could I could play Xenoblade on the go if I wanted to. Xenoblade 2. Uh, I don't want to talk about the 3DS port of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 because that pisses me off. I think it was a bad port. People like it just fine, but it's so ugly. I, I so have it ugly. literally just because it's a portable way to play my favorite game. It, yeah. It's definitely muddy as 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 hell. <laughs> yep, it is. It's a shame. But uh, I mean, good good questions though about the E three spec stuff. We'll have plenty more to speculate as well as E three gets closer because we're still I about a month surprises. out. Surprises! I'm so excited. Yeah, so yeah. I don't even mind the drought just because I love going there and just like having my jaw open the like half the time. Like, mm -hmm. oh my god! It's such a fun time. It is fun to stream into and feel part of that whole uh, collective when I'm streaming and being yeah. And I'm I'm so glad that that's an option now that that it's so much easier for people who are at home to get the full sort of E3 experience. Uh, honestly, sort of thing. if you're just looking for news, it's ideal to just sit and watch it from home. Right. Yeah. We've talked about this, how <laughs> the people who are like when we're writing news articles at E3, we often miss stuff because it's being announced via like some stream while we're at some event. 
So if you just wanted to get pure news out, it would be better to just sit back at home and, and you go there because people. like it is an event, like it is fun. You get to actually talk to you know developers and people in the business. You know, you get to see it firsthand. You get to do the demo thing. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, if you're just looking straight for the that thrill of the news, you're actually just better experiencing it from home. That makes sense. And E3 is a wonderful opportunity. I feel very fortunate that I'm able to go. It's yeah. a great time, um, and we get a lot of really cool work done while we're there. So. And it's cheesy, but we get to see friends. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's you know? not cheesy like, at all. That's it's honestly great. a big part of it, too. RPG fam yeah. is, a, is an international family. <laughs> the, the RPG fam. And yep. uh, having you all If, if we ever start place. like a charity thing, we got to call it RPG fam. Aw. <laughs> we are there. I was going to say, speaking of the streaming thing and whatnot, uh, one thing we didn't touch on with the Square Enix is apparently they're going to pre-record their announcements. Oh, yeah, they're joining they're Nintendo's ranks. Yeah, yeah, just having it done ahead of time. Okay. How cool. do you feel about that? That's fine. Um, I mean, th that way they can idea. curate and, and tailor exactly what they want to say and not screw it up. So. Yeah. No, and isn't that basically what kind of instigated Nintendo to do it? Just a little, a few too many, like, you know, issues with the, you know, AV. It's just like, forget it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like it's easier for them to do that flat out than to have yeah. to coordinate a big, bombastic live presentation for this kind of information. And, and plus, they when they the treehouse talk back after, yeah, and yeah. when they exactly, so they can still have a live element. And when they record all the information um, ahead of time, they can sort of like perfectly match or to however they think it's perfect, perfectly match trailers and footage with how they want to time the announcements and show stuff. So I don't know. I'm I'm cool with it. It, it doesn't allow people to ask questions, I guess, but like people don't ask questions at press conferences, no. uh, like the traditional E3 gaming press conferences anyway. So not they're not really deals, no. conferences, they're more presentations. They are. Yeah. It's uh, definitely a very big for uh, the investors and such. Now, yeah. do you think other companies are going to possibly start going that route? I could see that. I mean, we'll see. But the, yeah. like, that's the thing is that this is a media event. Like, it, it's great that they opened up E3 to, to the public. But I mean, first and foremost, it is a press show. Like, it is for, you know, other other like-minded companies. Uh, and do you speculate really like that's just money-wise? I'm sorry? Do you speculate like that was maybe due to funding and such that they just needed another source of income, so they needed to open it up because it's just no doubt. Not a bad idea. It proved that it was obviously successful. People, you know, the public does want to see this event, and I don't blame them. Uh, in terms of how worth it it is, personally, I wouldn't pay for it unless I was I was going for free with uh, with the team. Yeah, because it is it, pretty pricey, from what I recall. It is very pricey. It's like two hundred fifty bucks. Yeah. For how many days? Uh, I don't even know if that's for the full it's thing. Like, yeah, like for a few days to, and then and like again, you're gonna be largely waiting in line if if you actually are committed to seeing some of the bigger stuff. It's true, and it's similar also, for like Penny Arcade Expo, for example, and those are forty bucks a day. So if you yeah. get the whole four week, four day package, that adds yeah. up. But it's so it's but that's a lot more thing. community right. focused, and also it's true. If you're going to E3 to play demos of games, we now live in an era where companies can just snap their fingers and release a demo via the you know PSN or Steam or whatever, which and you have doing. Like, you right, which now. happens a lot. So, uh, and I love that. Those are my favorite E3 announcements. It's like, and it's out right now. Like, I think yeah. pull the Oprah. Look yeah, under your exactly. seat. <laughs> you get to play 3DS. You get to play. <laughs> oh no, I love that though. Yeah, and Solosi stole all my games that I that I was given. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm you monster. tend to actually go home with quite a few like you know great trinkets and all that stuff. So I mean, it's worth it for certain things. Like I, I definitely think, uh, I, you know, if you're if you're going to there just to play games, you're going to find yourself sorely disappointed. Yeah. yeah. 
and they've also got to try and iron it out enjoy some gaming aspect and you might not do it every year but you know it's definitely it's like you know or uh it's like gaming mecca you go there once and you just got to see what it's all about that's how i feel about pax but pax has had a few years to kind of curate the experience more for the community and figure it yeah. out is that was earth e3's first foray which again as i've heard from your feedback on podcasts it didn't quite go over great but there's an opportunity for them to learn hopefully and yep. make that better this year and so you'll probably have a very different experience for how that works this year yeah. Well, like we also do, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, what's the one in this, in January? Magfest. Sorry, yeah. Oh, yes. We go for that. If yeah, I, I feel that's like really good for its own thing as well. Less Magfest is and more magical. Yeah, I one love Magfest. Please come this year because uh, I'm going to be closer to that coast. I'm so excited! I'm going to be in yeah. Chicago, so I can take like an hour and a half flight to get there. Uh-huh. That would be great. Downside is is you're a lot farther from Fangamer. Yes, uh, I I live five minutes away from the Fangamer office. Five <laughs> minutes by car. Which just got announced. What? Camp oh, Camp Fangamer. Camp. Yeah, it just got announced. Yeah. Yeah, I went to that the first year. It was uh, it was all right. It was a little shaky, but it was That's their first, first con. Year. So, yeah, it was also kind of small that year. But I'm yeah, I, I should look into that. I think I'm leaving right before it happens because it's like you are. Yeah. Want want all you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, not to go too long on the E3 train, because like I said, we'll have plenty of time to discuss that in the future before the show happens. I wanted to run through a few more quick hits of news. Uh, we just got an announcement that Monster Hunter, uh, it's what, Double Cross XX in Japan, uh, n- now known as Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, That's is right. coming west to the Switch in August. So I think I heard a lot of people saying that they didn't think that was going to happen because World is kind of the big thing right now. And they were like, why would they bother, you know, re-releasing basically what is it, an HD port of a 3DS game on Switch in the West? But they're doing it. Because Nintendo, so, uh, sorry, Capcom realized that when you sell games, they they sell. <laughs> I guess like, hey, apparently everybody likes Monster Hunter again. Let's, let's uh, go back to the backlog, see what we can do. Well, it's like Solosi said, it's it's very likely that they're trying to capitalize on the success of World and open it up to more players. Might as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't and really see how they traditional. can fail. So anyone who prefers the more traditional style gameplay from what uh, World has kind of remodeled into this modern, more uh, digestible format, they probably will enjoy that return to what they I think Capcom's about. trying to dig themselves a bit out of a hole right now, too. So They should. I mean, they're actually working to revive Mega Man to some degree, so that gives me more faith in them than I've had in many, many years. I think they saw the opportunity when they saw how Mighty Number no. 9 went. <laughs> it came yeah. and went. Just absolute garbage fire. <laughs> Oh my god! And Which, they're like, the way, I, I had a feeling they were like rubbing their hands together, like, <laughs> right? Yeah, I didn't right? like that's not all the I can game, see. <laughs> probably. Oh they're, my god! Yeah. So to... I think they're and you know what? I I won't lie. I'd still pine for a Mega Man Legends three if they actually ever oh up for it. Why not? Please. I don't care. I don't care who makes it. Just let's see it. A I... remaster of those of the first two would be great too. Make them. Re- uh, yeah. That's right. It's... Yeah, they're doing that, aren't they? Or no, they're just releasing. No. It. Oh, Wait, really Legends? Sorry, no. no, I didn't think they were. I think they're just doing Mega Man, another Mega Man collection, and then yeah, doing an X collection, which looks rad, but not in our coverage. So, you know. Yeah. But it's not? not Legend. Mega Man? Mega Man no. X? No, sorry. Uh, Legends? Okay. I think we had a stream of Legends 2 a while back. Yeah. yeah Legends would be under our coverage. Yeah. RPG. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Those are good. I use love that game, man. There's nothing that creeped me out than going to those stupid dungeons where it's black and you know friggin' red-eyed reaver bots are out. Yeah, they are creepy. Ooh. 
like that game gave me the willies every dungeon seems to be underground and because like the shading back then was so crappy it was basically your shadows were all in black and so yeah. everything looked twice as scary no i know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about just black and red robots chasing after you in the darkness it's frightening that does sound kind of terrifying i'm pretty sure my seven-year-old would not approve no. i would love to relive that in hd mm-hmm. those games are freaking terrifying man they got weird uh but yeah. i loved it <laughs> yep they're great games i never uh, had a chance to play them so i'd love an opportunity <laughs> I hope you get one. I hope they announce more Mega Man stuff at E3. Um, two more Switch announcements. There was a little Japan Indies kind of showcase that it wasn't. It wasn't a Nintendo Direct per se, but they. I don't know if you they... guys talked, but uh, what was it? Octopath Traveler hit a million downloads for its demo. Whoa, that's high. That is a lot. <laughs> so, like, I know our our, our uh, like a lot of the people who who watch us are looking crazy forward to that game, and so am I, quite frankly. Yep, I am too. So I hope they do show some more of that. I hope so too. I, I think we'll get more at E3 just because it comes out in July. So yeah, that makes Sorry sense. if I totally took away your steam right there. You did, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll forgive you. Uh, at the <laughs> Japan Indie uh, presentation, it, it, it was just like a video online. <laughs> it's all good. At uh, the presentation online, they announced a bunch of games coming to the Switch in Japan, but these are also coming to the US as well. These two are um, Mineko's Night Market. I talked about a few episodes ago, I believe, which is like and the cutesy kind of like spirited away but uh it's like spirited away art style and vibe but you're like running an item shop and running around doing cute stuff with cats that is coming out on switch and so is minute m-i-n-i-t oh my god little... night market looks like a like almost like sanrio meets uh like adventure time it's really cute it is really cute yeah. minute is the black and white like zelda played in 60 second bursts game i don't i don't know if i mentioned it here before but i love minute it came out on ps4 last month and i absolutely devoured it i beat it like in one setting it's not that long um you can beat it in a couple of hours but it's uh it's really cool it's like the premise is top down zelda style adventure um you play as this like weird little bird guy yeah he does look like a tamagotchi and uh, <laughs> You get this cursed sword that kills you every 60 seconds. And every time you die, you go back to your home and you find ways to impact the world around you by like, let's say you cut down a tree and then the next time you go through that tree is no longer there. So you don't have to spend time cutting it down or you get an item that lets you like move boxes. And then from then on, you can take a shortcut through the boxes. And steam. It's kind of hard to look up minute game without getting like, like weird stuff to play at a bachelorette party. Ew. Yeah. (laughs) Well, spell just do M I N I T. Okay, I looked up the time unit. And is it Uh, um, procedurally generated? No, it is all hand designed, which I really like because if it was procedurally generated, I don't think it would have be would have been as fun. The the sort of meat of the game comes from figuring out puzzles. It's like how do you approach each sort of obstacle given your short time frame? And uh, Uh, as you sort of venture further out from your home, you can find other home bases so that you're not starting at the same spot every time. It's really really good. Check it out. Oh, neat. Good soundtrack too. um, And pretty replayable because it has like a hard mode and uh that sounds like it'll be right at home on the uh, the switch perfect for switch i think that's interesting i think everything is perfect for switch these days they're saying yep no but like i like again i've been seeing talk about that too where it's like it seems like they're not really doing the virtual console thing they're just focusing on a lot of indies now Mm -hmm. which um I hope that they continue to add to that the newly announced Nintendo online service. Like, I hope it's more than just NES games. It'd be awesome if they could build up a huge, like, PlayStation Now-esque library of classic games to play. 
Because right. that would be much more to pay for that. Especially yeah. Nintendo. Like, I mean, these are like the, you know, one of the biggest in makers in classic games, right? You yeah, know, they're pioneers. They're good to have a library that you can always access. And you shouldn't like have to money. go through the drama of like reannouncing a game for virtual console for this system and then for this system and then for this one. I know. Uh, I mean, I, I know that I spend a fair amount of time pining over re-releases of games that I want just on modern hardware, like up, upscaled in some way. Because like mm -hmm. Xenoblade Chronicles 1, um, you know, in my top five games of all time, probably, but I don't have a Wii anymore. I just don't. Yeah. So, and I don't want to play the 3DS version because it's all muddy and gross, like we just said. So, I would love a re release of that on Switch. So, um, but I mean, that's not quite the that whole virtual console thing, but um, I would expect <laughs> that to be like a retail re release. But yeah. tragically, we are getting close to uh, Wii games being virtual console retro. I know, right? <laughs> makes it feel well, they, had, they had Wii downloads on Wii U. So, yeah, yes, yeah that's true too. So we're not far off from that, but I would love to see them even port. I just, just there's no uh, clean way to do it, porting DS and 3DS games to the Switch. I feel like the only way they could do it is in... No, I couldn't even do it in docked mode because you can't hold the, the screen and then have the TV as the second screen. So unfortunately, there's I don't see them having a way to do that anytime soon as much as those games would be great to play on unless you held it kind of like upright version and then had the, the two screens split that way. You know, that's funny. Somebody, uh, <laughs> Nintendo just announced that they're releasing a little like charger dock for the switch. And then somebody was like, ah, yes, finally, they're making it possible for me to play the upcoming port of Kid Icarus Uprising on Nintendo Switch. Oh, I would <laughs> love that. <laughs> that game had the worst control scheme for, for being such a good game. Uh, yeah. It gave me cramps to play it. But I'm just trying to think, like, how else could they have done it? And there was no easy answer. And they give you a friggin' peripheral stand to help make it work. That's <laughs> it's proof that it didn't work. Basically, that stand is proof that it just doesn't work. But yeah. um, God, that's a game I would kill for them to port. Not an RPG, great. not it deserves coverage, it. but it is such a cool game. It does, yeah. Mm -hmm. Go play it, everybody. Go play it. Go play Kid Icarus. And one final piece of news for this episode, so we can wrap it up. I need to eat lunch, you guys. Uh, Final Fantasy XIV's newest patch is coming out very soon. Just Yay. as of today, it's uh, been announced that it's going to be released on May 22nd, and the patch is called Under the Moonlight. It's going to continue the main storyline and a bunch of stuff, but um, most probably interesting as like a, from an outside point of view is they have the continuation of the Ivalice raid series and storyline, and the new dungeon is, which we knew before this, but the new dungeon is the um, Ritorana Lighthouse. So... Final Fantasy XII's big, like the Pharaohs at Ritorana, that that huge tower towards the end of the game, that infamously oh, long tower. Yes. That's the new raid dungeon. I mean, obviously, it's going to be different for fourteen, but uh, we're going to go there. It's and... set up to be a raidy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you can fight uh, Belias and Famfrit, and uh, looks like what is his name? Construct Eight, the robot guy oh, from yep. FF Tactics. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, what is it? Uh, Worker Eight. Worker, Worker Eight. eight. There yeah. You go. So uh, look up the trailer for 4.3 Under the Moonlight. It is kind of spoilery, but if you're not an FF14 player at all, then like it doesn't matter. You can just look it up and see the cool FF12 stuff that they're adding to the game. So also um, Vaughn's outfit will be a reward that you can get for like melee DPS. So I won't lie, I made a bit of a face when I saw what their version of uh, Ramza looked like. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of fans have had a problem with that because he's kind of a jerk, too. Is so he? we're wondering, yeah, we're wondering if, like, there's some reason. Maybe he's not the real Ramza. I don't know. But, Ooh. yeah, that, that could be a thing. So Hopefully he has some redeeming qualities at some point. 
Probably there. There's mentioned so beautiful in Dissidia, man. I was surprised mm-hmm. they were able to translate that design. Yeah, there's reference to Delita and stuff too, and we we have Bagamin from Twelve and stuff. So there's oh. uh, there's a lot of Evilly stuff crossing over. So I guess we'll find out. But by, by the end of this raid series, we'll know where it's all going to go. So mm-hmm. well, oh, there's another uh, super fancy boss for you to get a T-shirt for. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> well, at E3 this year, they're going to have uh, there's a new like boss fight they're introducing in this patch, and they're keeping it a secret. Uh-huh. As to what it's going to be, so they're going to have that at E3, whatever it is. So, oh my god! Fun fact: We tried to do the Susano Annette and I, because Annette has some experience doing WoW back uh-huh. day, and I've done dabbled in like the the beta, but I haven't played it since. So there's uh-huh. obviously been a lot of growth since. But we got in the lineup because she wanted to try it out, because uh, it seems. Uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. So we got in there and we're playing with a bunch of uh, a few people who've been trying to do this challenge with the T-shirts, and they were trying to coach us through, and they all seemed pretty high and positive on it, and I just. I kind of felt bad because I was like, mm, I don't think we're going to be it for you, but okay. And we wiped within, I want to say, five minutes. Um, it was pretty rough. <laughs> but yeah. they're just like, you, sh- you can play the healer. You should be fine. You'll be fine. I was like, I, d- I don't know what any of these things do, but uh, your funeral. So <laughs> it was rough. Were you allowed to send rough. it to your own account for that? No. They don't like oh, I don't think so. No, they just give you a preset of, of uh, level whatever some maxed out levels so you just kind of pick mm-hmm. the job you want and the gear and you go for it and it's very neat but as I, was, as I was briefly mentioning it'd be really nice at these events if they still had like a station where you could just run around and just try the game out that way you weren't under the pressure of trying out the battle because it's yeah not welcoming they, they had that the at the final fantasy 14 fan festival in las vegas last time where they great which is like obviously the event is geared around just that game. So they had stations where you could just play as a character and run around for a while. Um, and good. that makes absolute sense. Although now that I understand that the game is free to play for a certain level, that is, I guess, possibly why too, that when you can just do that at home. Yeah, it's like free up to some low level. And then you have restricted features. Like you, you can't uh, use certain chat functions and can't join like companies and stuff. So. Which makes sense. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah. anywho, let's. Uh, <laughs> Let's wrap the podcast up for today here. We had a lot of good discussion, but I want to save a lot of the E3 stuff for another time when there's more to speculate on. So if you enjoyed the show today and you have questions, comments, or spare potions, you can email us at podcast at rpgfan.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at rpgfancom and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash rpgfancom. As Steph said, we now have an Instagram account, so you can follow that as well. See all of her cool art that is uh, just on Instagram. It's rpgfancom, just like the rest. Finally, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or through the RSS feed. It would be super cool of you to leave a review since apparently um, nobody is doing that. But um, we did get a piece of very nice fan mail that called out Greg's crappy microphone. (laughs) 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 Which is This should uh, hopefully be the last episode where it happens. I'm in the works of getting my new one. But thank you for calling me on it because it's something I would not have known was an issue. Yes. Quality on mine, okay? Yes. A little late for that stuff. We'll let, the fans, <laughs> we'll let the fans determine that now. Email your complaints about Steph's mic too. Podcast at rpgfan.com. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, we appreciate you tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. So for me, Steph, and Greg, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all later. <laughs>